Hello everyone, I'm Jackson Swearer, entrepreneur and navigator, and your host for The Hot Seat. This month, I sat down with Kurt Von Annen, owner of Manana Nomas. Kurt is a successful entrepreneur who started his business in 2008 and serves clients across the globe. He chose to relocate from California to Hutchinson in 2023 to take advantage of lower cost of living and a slower pace of life, as well as moving closer to his wife's family. In this episode, Kurt reflects on the lessons he has learned through the years. And if, like me, you love this community, you'll love Kurt's answer to how he is finding Reno County so far. Take a listen. So to get us started, can you tell us your name and the business that you own? Absolutely. My name is Kurt Von Annen, and the name of our business is Manana Nomas. All right. So tell me a little bit more about Manana Nomas. What is the business? What do you do, and how long have you been doing it? Well, that's the hard part about being in business is that when you're old like me, you seem to do all kinds of things, and then it's hard to be focused. So when Manana Nomas first came out, it was digital marketing. It was simple websites, getting startups uh, exposed to social media, their Facebook, their Twitter, you know, things like that, just helping them launch. As we developed, as we grew, we found ourselves doing more and more in the space and creating e-learning and course curriculum and things like that for bigger companies. So eventually we got hired away from ourselves and that's when I went to work corporately. So now that we relaunched Manana Nomas, we're really focused on membership and learning websites things that do e-commerce, and things that really help a business communicate their message, whether it's internally or externally, but effectively at a, at a level much higher than a standard five-page website. So when did you, uh, when did you first start Manana Nomas? Officially 2006, 2007, but then 2008 is when we adopted the name Manana Nomas and had an office and had real referrals coming in. We were officed in one of those shared offices by an economic development center. We are in the South Valley of Albuquerque, so the South Valley Economic, economic Development Center. And they just loved the work that we were doing and started sending all the startups to us, you know, to get stuff done. And it was, it was really a kind of a revolutionary experience. At the time, we were called Von Annen Designs and PR, which I thought sounded great on paper. But then I started to worry. I was like... If I build this business and I want to sell this business, I'd be selling my name. And that's a weird thing to kind of wrap your head around. So I was kind of looking for a new name. And one day I lost my temper, uh, which was you know, kind of normal. I was younger. And you would give people homework. You would say, hey, we're going to work on your website. We'll start building the infrastructure of the site. And you have to come back in two weeks with your logo and your about me content and stuff like that. People would never do it. And it was a predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. And one day I'm in the conference room and I lose it. And I go, man, I, you know, I can't, if you're not vested in your own success, I can't make you successful. Like I help people launch, but if you're not ready to launch, there's nothing to do. If you won't do your homework, there's, there's nothing. So manana nomas, you, you can't put off till tomorrow what you could do today. And the guy that ran the SVEDC kind of rolls out, you know, and rubs his belly through his sweater and he goes, hey, Kurt, that would be a good name for your business. <laughs> and that was it. We, um... Manana Nomas was adopted. I reserved the name. We changed our policies. You had due dates as a customer. If you did not uh, come through with your homework, you were kicked out of the program or put down to the bottom of the list, and we moved on to the next customer. And we didn't take payments anymore. Everything was paid up front. And everyone said that suicide, you're going to go out of business. We're in an economic downturn. You know, remember, it's 2008. 
that's never going to work. And then people said, you're a racist. You're going to get, you know, barred by Hispanics for taking their name, cultural appropriation. And our business tripled that year. Everybody loved the structure. They loved the rules. They loved the vibe. I even got to speak at the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. So it ended up being a really good decision on the heels of everyone telling me it was a bad decision. That's kind of led the path for, for how things have gone since. What do you attribute your ability to kind of have confidence and move forward, even though you were hearing some naysayers in your ear there? Oh, boy. We could go back to third grade. You know, friends would say or teachers would say, you know, what do you want to do when you get older? And I grew up in a, you know, kind of a, a meek neighborhood in Philadelphia. And I would say things like, oh, I want to write a book, you know, and my friends would laugh. They would just outwardly laugh at me and go, dude, you don't even like English. How are you going to write a book? Or I would say, I want to own my own business someday. And teachers would say, you know, well, you don't even do your homework. You know, what makes you think you're going to be a good business person? And I think there was enough naysayers then that, that kind of flipped over time to where I got used to the idea that a lot of the information that comes to an entrepreneur is not genuine, well-thought information. It's, it's reflexology. You know, it's, it's people that react by their own fears or their own preconceptions. And, you know, you really got to look for the people that you want to take inspiration from if you want to be a, in business for yourself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that that insight into the mindset that you need, the ability to maybe go against the current a little bit is really important for entrepreneurs. And I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit on the other side of that. Who were some of the people who did support you and who gave you, who gave you that confidence? Did you have any particular mentors, anybody like that that was really influential as you were an early stage startup? you think back to that time? Well, that to me is, that's one of the messages I give to other startups now. And that is don't make my mistake. You know, embrace the idea of having a mentor, have somebody that you go and get information from, have people that you're not afraid to go hat in hand to and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Do you think this is crazy? Or am I the only person that thinks this is worth doing? Because I did a lot of things on my own without guidance, without mentorship and learned the hard way. What well, was there a particular catalyst or a particular event that made you go, oh, I got to I gotta change course here? I still go through that. I, I have a training product right now that's targeted at the power sports industry, and I want to help motorcycle dealership owners increase their parts and labor sales through service. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why dealers don't want to invest in training their staff. You know, that's just one of those things, right? So that's one of those where I'm, I'm looking at it and going, okay, we're on the fourth year of this, and we're still not making a bunch of money off of it. Was it a bad decision? Was it early to market? Was it the wrong product? Was it? So then you have to do that root cause analysis and try and figure it out, which is hard if people won't give you feedback. So you have to be constantly open to criticism and you can't always be looking for a pat on the back. You have to look for that, someone that's really going to tell you the truth, which is harder than you think. It's not going to come from family. It's not going to come from close friends. You've got to get outside your circle and you've got to find other people to communicate with. So it sounds to me like for you, at least, the, the negative feedback and the what's not working is, has been the most important thing, and, but you've taken that and used it to pivot your business in certain instances. Was that fair? Yeah, that's super fair. And there's, there is one person who, I mean, I've only known the guy for like four years now, but he's someone that's brave enough to tell you if he thinks you're full of it or not. And that's uh, Timothy Morgan with the Giver Marketing Group. Now, he's out of Sacramento and, and uh, Oregon areas up in the Pacific Northwest, but he has this great organization of marketing people. And when you work with him one-on-one, -on -one, he'll flat out say, you know, you know, what gets you jazzed in the morning? What's your inspiration? What really gets you doing something? 
you know, because if you're just chasing the idea of someone swiping a credit card for your services for the next week, that's not long-term sustainable growth. You'll, you'll burn out of that. So he's like, what gets you jazzed? What gets you going? What can you focus on? You know, and I'm big with the tons of arrows in a quiver kind of thing. Like I, I like to have lots of diversity. And uh, he's like, dude, you got to slow down with the diversity thing. Like if you had to do something to make a living and really enjoy it for the next year, two years, five years, what would that be? What would you focus on? And for me, it's, you know, adding value to business owners and helping them grow. So talk to me a little bit more about um, the scope of your market for Mignana Nomas. I know when we'll get to the fact that you've moved here to, to Reno County in a little bit, but I know you said you started the business in Albuquerque. I know you've done some work in Sac- the Sacramento area. Um, talk to me a little bit about kind of what's your customer base. And I, I hear there's a lot of diversity in that as well. So maybe... You know, speak to our listeners a little bit about all the different kinds of people that you can work with and how you've approached that. Well, this is one of those lessons, and I've learned over time, the more open you are to who your customer could be, the more it will expand. So two summers ago, I would get up at like three o'clock in the morning and start working. And it was a really practical reason. I worked out of the garage and in California, the garage got really hot about one o'clock. So I wanted to be done by noon, right? So I would get up at like three in the morning and start working. Well, I was consulting with people in India, France, Spain, Africa. I was dealing with all these folks. And then there would be kind of a lull, a break, you know, while no one's in the Atlantic Ocean. And then people in America would start to wake up. And I would start doing some of those calls and consulting calls. And it was really interesting to be able to recognize, you know, before the pandemic even, that if you want to work remote, and you want to have super flexibility and control of your time, you can completely do that in the digital space. And it's not just for making websites or for things that you would assume are only web-oriented things. It's like you can do it with almost anything now in today's market. And so we really, you know, I really embraced it, but we, you know, because Manana Nomas is, is a team of people, we started to embrace the idea that I could use people from Vietnam, from Pakistan, from France, from Italy, to, to help with our projects and to get things on target. And with Manana Nomas, our thing is we're always on time and we're never over budget. We, we've never missed a deadline and we've never gone over budget since 2008. And so I'll leverage talent from all over the world to make it happen, which gives you another piece of freedom. You can live anywhere if that's the way you set things up. So why was I paying an exorbitant you know, California beach tax to live in California when I could live close to my, my wife's three sisters, give her the life that she wants and be here in Hutchinson with you guys. Well, I want to hold on the business for just a minute before I get your thoughts on moving to Hutchinson. But a couple of things I want to pick up there as threads. One thing that I have thought and reflected on a lot as it relates to our marketing and communications is this notion that there is no such thing as the all market mass market, that you have to have some kind of customer that you're planning to market to and you're nodding at me from across the table. So I take it you agree with that assessment. Um, How do you approach determining which customer segments to go after, which business and industries to go after? You mentioned power sports as an area that you had looked at to target Talk to me a little bit about that process and what, how you diagnose that, how you make those decisions. I view running a, a business and having your target markets or your niches picked out similar to almost like using AI in today's terms. Like you can use AI to search almost anything you want in ChatGPT and have it write you an article for almost anything. But if you're not a subject matter expert on what you asked for the content to be written about, 
you have no way of really checking that content to know if it's quality content or not. It's that way when I'm targeting my customers. So I have, I raced motorcycles for about 20 years. I road raced all across the country. I was not fast. So if your listeners look me up, I'll be the guy that was getting lapped by the leaders, but, but I did it right. And that gave me a catalyst between the race experience and publishing my first book on the service oriented fields that gave me a direct inlet to Ducati. So I worked for Ducati for about 10 years. And then I worked for Suzuki for about four years after that. And so all that experience kind of was like, if I'm going to be independent, why not target the power sports industry? I know the service writers. I know the service managers. I know a lot of the owners and I'm very intimate with all of their processes. So that makes sense. But that same process, that same customer first relationship experience that I'm trying to train in power sports is also the same for computer repair, toaster repair, you know, anything that's an after sales oriented kind of business. So I do, I do target a lot of industries outside of power sports, ones that have consumer products that are backed by a service, uh, service section. So those are, that's where I really go for my target. Yeah. So you, it sounds to me like you took your lived experience and the, and the kind of the knowledge that you'd gained from that focused on a field that you knew you'd have some expertise in and then found other areas to branch off, um, that were related. Yeah. And kind of going back to the first part of our conversation, like how do you, like, what do you focus on? How do you niche down on something? It gets confusing and more complicated because I was always fascinated by leadership and I'm a lifelong student of leadership. And then I went and made it official and got John Maxwell certified in leadership, speaking, and training. And so somebody might go, well, you could do that for anybody. You could do, you know, leadership is so broad and it's so this. But if you, to your point, if you try to advertise, well, I'm a leadership trainer to everybody, nobody signs up. So if I'm a leadership trainer for power sports, if I'm a leadership trainer for automotive, if I'm a leadership trainer for speakers, authors, and coaches to launch their own, you know, e-commerce websites, that gets much more specific and it lets people know that I'm really an expert in those specified fields. So those are areas that I target. Cool. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a good generalizable lesson there for entrepreneurs that you want to find some kind of niche to, niche to operate in and that looking to your own experience and your own expertise to try to determine what that would be would be a good first step. Um, I also wanted to get a little bit of your insights about hiring and having an employee base that might be spread across a wide, wide area. So tell me a little more about, you know, how many people you work with, are they full-time employees? Are they mostly other contractors? And how do you manage that dynamic of having people working all over the world for you? Well, I will give you one secret and that is I hired my son. So I read a book by Dan Martell. It was buy back your time. And I started analyzing how do I actually spend my time? And one of the first priorities became, I got to buy back some of my time. I can't keep doubling down on all this stuff and burning the candle at both ends and working 14 hours a day and not being productive or profitable. So I took a lot of the repetitive steps that I do and I hired my son and he does it. He tracks his time. I pay him. It's simple. And he's really good at it. So and it, when you have a kid, you want to give them that exposure, like what's school, what's business, what are your choices? And that's working really well. The other side of your question is, how do I get other people? So people that work on the internet or do like my kind of contracting, they're instantly going to say, well, what about Fiverr? What about, you know, all these programs where you can find somebody? And I don't typically do that. Uh, I work primarily in WordPress. 
So I go to word camps, I go to different WordPress events, I do a lot of networking, a lot of face-to-face, -face, you know, handshakes and, and eye contact. And when I find people that communicate well, I make sure I record their information and I keep them, you know, ready. The other thing that I do is I ask those people for referrals and I also get active in different WordPress communities and groups. They call them WordPress meetups. And so I attend WordPress meetups in person and virtually so I can associate with more and more people in my field and figure out who the power players are and who I could hire for something that maybe I'm not the best at. So for instance, I am graphically illiterate. I don't mind telling customers that. I tell them all the time. I'm not going to design your logo. I'm not going to pick your color palette. Uh, there's certain things that my vision doesn't allow me to do. But if you give me the logo and the color palette and the starts of your like content, your textual content, I'll build you the most amazing website ever, right? So some customers don't have it. So then I bring in graphic designers and things like that. Yeah, cool. So you typically would contract that workout on, on a piece-by-piece yeah. piece basis per project. Yeah, and I, this is going to sound overly patriotic, but I try to use people in the States as much as I can. And then when it's really budget conscious, I've got a guy in Vietnam, I've got a guy in Pakistan, and I've got a, a wonderful, wonderful person I work with out of Italy who is fantastic. Great, great. So... Yeah, I, I I can wrap my mind around that. I can appreciate that a sense that you'd like to support uh, here when you can, um, but at the end of the day, you got to get the work done. There's people all over the world who can do the work. So, and the customer the customer has their needs as well too. So, controlling price is important. All right. So now to get to a question that I've been excited to ask: Why in the world did you move here to Reno County with this with this business? I mean, I know you can do it anywhere. We initially looked at like Idaho and I'm going back five, six years. So we, we were trying to escape California since we got to California. And, you know, sometimes we would literally look at ourselves complaining about California and go, and I would say out loud to my wife, why are we complaining? Like our church is three miles away. The food store is down the block that everything's here. Why? Like you don't even have to commute. Like I have to commute, but you're not commuting. Why are you complaining? But we weren't happy with the school system. We weren't happy with some of the political nature. And it just, the overall attitude of the people there was really hard to, to come to grips with when you wanted a calmer, friendlier pace of life. And so we were looking at Idaho. We even thought about homesteading in Arizona. I was just going to buy 40 acres and build a house and a farm and do it. And everything that we tried to do just seemed to lack practicality or budget. And so... She said, I've got three sisters in Kansas. Why don't we look at Kansas? And I said, there's no mountains in Kansas. I'm a mountain biker. I can't move to Kansas. And it was just a very direct, selfish statement. And then my son found that we were really close to Bentonville, Arkansas from here. And it's the mountain bike capital of the world. And I said, okay, well, I could take weekend trips to Bentonville if I had to. Like, I hate to make it sound like it's about mountain biking. It's all about me. But yeah, it is. At some point, I got to get that out of my system. And so um, we started looking. And next thing you know, it was like Hutchinson was on the list. And we looked at a bunch of places. I think I told you on the phone when we first talked, we had looked at uh, Howard, Moline, um, Wellington. Uh, we took tours. We, we did everything remotely from California before we got here. But then we rented this house in Hutchinson. And in, and in good faith, we still drove around the state and looked at places. And at the end of those tours, I was like, thank God we landed in Hutchinson. This is a nice place. You know, there's always something to do here. Everybody's friendly. I haven't had a single bad transaction at a business in this town yet. Everybody's been personable, friendly, 
And, you know, the budget, oh my goodness. Like, we are saving so much money to be here that the only regret I have is that we didn't do it four or five years earlier. That's awesome. Um, I love to hear that. And I love to hear that you found this to be a welcoming community. Um, I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit more about what you found kind of interesting and excited about Hutch. Well, I, just speaking personally, I'm someone who grew up here. I went away for a little while. I call myself a boomeranger. We would call you a transplant. Um, and I say we, that's our young professionals group went to categorizing uh, different people a while back. And I always find it interesting how different folks of different relationships to the community have different insights into it. And so I'm wondering if you can just keep reflecting for me a little more about um, your impressions of, of Hutchinson and Reno County. Well, when we first got here, and I, and I want to be transparent with how I put myself out to you guys, when we first got here, the house was a mess. Like we rented it over the internet and we had a list of things they were going to do before we got to the house and none of it was done. And so when we first got to the house, my wife was heartbroken. It was a real emotional moment because we had just driven halfway across the country. So we're exhausted, we're tired, and we get to the house and it's a disaster. And I'm like, well, if this is the way this is going to be, this is going to be a nightmare. And I'm just trying to think of the family logistics, right? I don't want to live at my sister-in-law's house. Like it, it, the house was that bad. And so I was like, this is a nuts. So we sent her to her sister's house and me and my son stayed behind and started cleaning the house. Well, the more we cleaned the house, the better it got. And then we reached out to the land management company. And next thing you know, the maintenance guy's over going through a list of stuff. And he started knocking things off the list one by one by one while I was cleaning the house. And I thought, well, this is getting homier and homier as we go. Now, take all that into consideration and then think about me and my son. I said, hey, let's run out to the store and get something to eat real quick. So we went to Dylan's at Fifth and Adams, first store we visited. I was a little upset about the selection of beer. Not going to lie. I wanted some good beer, and there was no good beer in that cooler. But we met people in the store in weird ways. I was looking at chips. My son goes, $1.99 for chips? Man, that's cheap. And I, I said, yeah, it is cheap. And this pretty gruff-looking dude in a sleeveless shirt, construction-looking guy, turns around and goes, y'all aren't from around here, are you? And I was, I was like, no, you know, I, I don't tell people this often, but we're from California. And my son goes, this bag of chips would be $5.99. <laughs> And he goes, he goes, yeah, they keep threatening us here, but you know, uh, so far everything stayed, stayed low, you know? And he said, welcome, well, you know, welcome to Hutchinson was the first thing that someone had said to us was, was this guy. And I was like, well, that's unique. Right. And then we went to check out Liliana was the cashier. She was super nice, easy going. You know, she said she was underage, couldn't ring up my beer. And so, uh, but anyway, we, we made the process happen and she was wonderful. The guy bagging the groceries was wonderful. And what's weird here in California, you don't have to pay for your shopping bags. So they gave us as many bags as we wanted, right? Which doesn't happen in California. That's kind of a joke there. So that to us was just a unique experience. While we were checking out, an older lady from the back of the line, she yells up to the front of the line and says, did you guys say you just moved here? I said, yes. And she said, well, did you find the discount room? There's a clearance room. It's awesome. I live for the clearance room. After I check out, I'll give you guys, I'll walk you back there and show you where it's at. I'm like, I don't need a store tour. I'm going to be okay. Thanks. You know, and then we left. But when me and Hayden left, we were like, that was the weirdest experience at the store. And it just never changed. Everywhere we've went, um, I think that one of the better examples to describe the, the culture in Hutchinson my son's birthday was Monday, and very last minute, I sent an email through the website to the people at Axit Up, and I said, hey, 
We just moved here in September. It's my son's birthday today. I know it's late notice, but if you don't have any conflicting groups, I would love to bring him to throw axes for his birthday. And I didn't know her name was Ashley at the time, but Ashley responded through email and said, that's awesome. Welcome to Hutchinson. Tell your son happy birthday for me. We do have an event tonight from, I think, 7 o'clock to 9.30. She says, but I'd be willing to open up an hour early, let you guys come in at 5 o'clock. You can just pay me for the hour, but you can stay till 6.30, and you can come in early, and we'll teach you how to throw and let you have a good time. You know, And that, to me, is like you're going to open up off hours, right? You're going to ex- at la- late last minute, and she spent so much time with us and, and really gave us that quality tour of like, this is how you throw the ax. This is how you throw the knife. This is how you, this is how you play the games. This is how she made it fun. And then she kind of let him celebrate his birthday and he doesn't really have friends here yet, but you know, we had a family group with us and she made it the best experience it could have been. And that to me is like, that's the way it's been doing business here. Every store we go to is like that. I just love to hear that. And I love to hear that that's your experience. That's something that we work on and have been working on really hard in this community to foster that sense. Um, and shout out to Axit Up there. Uh, if you if listeners want to hear more about that and that business, we had Ashley and Zach on the podcast a few months back. So you can find that as one of our startup stories. Um, as we sort of get a little closer to concluding, I'm wondering if we can zoom back out a little more. I know you spend time consulting with businesses and um, talking to startups. I'm wondering if you could share some of your kind of top tips and takeaways that you would want to make sure that somebody who's thinking about starting a business is thinking about. Maybe a lesson learned, a, a thing to avoid or a thing to do, or maybe one of each. It's interesting that you bring it up from like the business consulting perspective, because a lot of people, when they hear about Manana Nomas, they assume I'm just some dude making websites. That's not really the core of it. The core of it is I consult with businesses and then we determine is a website needed or not needed, or do you need more consulting for the business, right? So that's, that's always on the table. And when I talk to these businesses, sometimes I'm amazed. Some people don't even know what they sell. So when I say, well, what is it that you really sell? They might think they're selling an item, but they're really selling an experience. Or they might think they're selling an experience, but they're really selling packaged goods of some kind. And so it's interesting to get down to whittling down. So what do you actually sell? And then how do you how do you sell that product or that service to your projected client based on pain points or needs or wants? Because a lot of times businesses, especially startups, they're so busy you know, beating their chest and trying to say what they do or what they offer or why their product is so good, but they never communicate or they fail to communicate why somebody would want to buy it or use it. And so a lot of the messaging that they're spending money on, on social media, on clickbait advertising is not getting the results they want because they're not meeting the customer where the customer needs to be met. So a lot of the consulting I do ends up being on that communication side And then outside of that, I get really nerded out on process, procedure, efficiency, productivity, and trying to maximize profits off of how that business is built and what they do. Cool. Cool. I like that. From your leadership background, I'm wondering if you'd have any final thoughts and reflections about mindset for the individual entrepreneur. What have you done in order to kind of keep going in business or 
bring the right kind of entrepreneurial mindset into things. I often think about the need to experiment, the need to be listening and be observant to the people around you. There are several other aspects. What do you think are the most important interpersonal things that an entrepreneur needs to do? I'm going to be real transparent with you and, and just be honest. The biggest thing that I've done as an entrepreneur for myself from a leadership perspective is that I've slowed things down. I'm, I'm much of um, naturally a both feet in kind of guy. Like I have an idea. Next thing you know, I reserve the URL and I've started building a template out before I even really have an audience, right? That's, the, that's my natural tendency. And so I forced myself into a journaling kind of mindset, right? So what I do is I have some quiet time every morning. Uh, I might reflect on some scripture or a quote or something that was said over the weekend. I try and think of what are the three things I'm really grateful for for the day. I list out my day. Even though I have a digital calendar, I list out my day in my planner. And then I do it all by hand. And mentally, that kind of gets me aligned with what my expectations for the day are. And then I have a notes page for what I'm doing for the day. And then lastly, I have a journal page. And that's where I'm just kind of honest with myself and write things down. And here's why. If we aren't careful as entrepreneurs, we get wrapped up in the moment emotionally and we don't give ourselves credit or enough critique for the moment. Meaning, things can feel awesome. You could be laughing and joking and having this awesome day and think everything's going great. But if you look at the facts, did you generate revenue? Did you generate income? Were you productive? You don't know. You can have other days that feel really destructive, in, internally damaging emotionally, where you think, oh, man, I'm just a loser. Nothing's coming together. And then if you actually look at the facts, you know, in my case, you know, maybe I knocked out, you know, setting up two new websites and, and new tech stacks or looking at a new plugin for a, a new, uh, you know, solve a new pain point for a customer. And those are amazingly productive moments, but they don't necessarily feel amazingly productive. And so I think it's real important that we slow things down and we start really noting things. When I work with my power sports clients, I'm really big on in the goal process of taking that initial snapshot. Like this is a real snapshot of where we're at. And then this is the goal on where we want to be in a year, 18 months. And then these are the milestones that we're going to mark off on the way to get there. And I'm sure that you know where I'm going with this. When you get halfway through the process, the customer starts getting anxious and they're like, I'm not seeing the growth. I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing the movement. I'm not seeing this happen. And they start to panic and you're like, whoa, 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 slow down. When we started the program, we went for all the low hanging fruit and you got like amazing jumps. So let's go back to the snapshot and look where you were when we started the process. And just like hoarders get used to living in a house of disaster, um, success become something that we get used to. And so as you go further down the goal building process, those leaps and bounds, those milestones are, are less impactful as you go. So it feels like you're not making progress, but you are. It's like when I race motorcycles. When I first started racing, I would take minutes off my lap time. And then as I got better and better and better, you know, a half a second was a major, a major win to save a half a second a lap. And so that's the better you get, the harder it is to see forward progress. So you, if you take that moment to, to write it down, to, to understand it, and to really process it, and to take your emotion out of it, I think the journaling has been key to a lot of my recent growth. Well, I love that. I think that's great advice. And I think we will end it there. Thank you so much, Kurt, for coming in and sharing some of your insights as a successful business, and also for sharing a little bit of your 
journey to, to moving here to Hutchinson and Reno County. Very excited by that. I think that that's a model and an opportunity for folks like yourself and also for our community that I think could be very beneficial going forward. So thank you for sharing your story. Cool. No worries. And also thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I also need to thank Bowercom for the cover art and Christopher Racker and Salt City Sound for help with recording and posting the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Startup Hutch, you can find us on our website, startuphutch.com, or on most social media platforms at Startup Hutch. We hope that if you're a business owner, you'll also consider joining the Startup Hutch Idea Exchange, our private Facebook group where small business owners in Reno County can share ideas about business and ask each other questions. Finally, I hope that you'll do us a favor by sharing the podcast and also by letting us know if there's anybody that you'd like to have on the podcast in the future. You can reach us either in the comment section on Facebook or by using the contact page on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next time.